Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Open your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, as we hear the word of the Lord from the New Testament this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts that we might receive your word and be drawn close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The beloved, I will not be stopped. If at first you don't succeed, now stop doing that and do something easy. Right? If at first you don't succeed, Christians, if at first you don't succeed at what God's calling you to do, what? Be pretty sure that God has something else planned for you that's, that's easier and walk away from, no, 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 no. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Absolutely. We know that nothing of significance in this world is accomplished without some persistence, without some perseverance. The brothers Wilbur and Orville, they had a whole pile of broken models and a few pretty solid crashes before on December 17, 1903, they launched a flight of 120 feet in 12 seconds in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Persistence. Edison failed so many times at, at coming up with a light bulb, he was asked by a reporter, how does it feel to fail 999 times? And Edison famously said, I didn't fail. I just figured out a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb. This was a successful invention of 1,000 steps. See, persistence. Those who made the greatest contributions, those who shaped culture and history, those who have truly added something to the world, they are all marked by persistence. And what can motivate someone to that kind of stick to what can drive the heart? I'd submit that if you asked those who have made the greatest changes, how they stayed true to their purpose, how they stared down opposition and walked past the envious or the ill-wishing, how they woke up each morning ready to take one more step toward their goal, if you ask them, what's in your heart? Well, there's just no motivation like love. Love motivates us like nothing else. When once love has captured your heart, a love for God, a a love for humanity, love for uh, 
for a cure or an advance or a possibility. Once that love captures us, well, there's no limit to what we will endure. The beloved is coming, and he will not be stopped. The beloved is coming to name us his beloved. And he comes with persistence. He comes with tenacity. This is not some bloodless sacrifice, some cold errand, some emotionless, passionless duty. Jesus is motivated by one thing, love. And that motivation is enough to endure anything to get to us. Hebrews 12 says, fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer is the first one out and faces all the opposition. The perfecter is the one who has to carry the plan through to the end. Jesus is both. And in verse two and three, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Do we falter when we face opposition? Do we turn when the winds blow against us? Do we turn away from what God has called us to do? Look to Jesus and see what opposition he endured. Do we falter when we struggle to fulfill our calling in the Lord to find our purposes and and live them out? Look to Jesus who endured the cross. The beloved will not be stopped. The beloved is coming. Jesus will endure anything to get to you. Don't believe me? Look at Isaiah again. Look at this passage we read. Pass through the gates. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. He says, say to daughter Zion. What does the Lord say? He says, you go tell my daughter Zion. You tell her what? You tell her this. You tell her, see, your Savior comes. He is coming. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He knows how to bless and he knows what it will take. Recompense is atoning work. He knows what it's going to take to get it done and he's coming and you will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You will be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. Can you take that straight to heart? You are sought after. This message is for you. Isn't it just what John the Baptist was saying last week? Prepare the road, prepare the way, open up the space. Not so we can get to Jesus, but so he can get to us and come to us with all that he intends. Jesus is coming, and when he comes, your name will be changed. No longer will you be known by any other names that filter into your mind. You will be called sought after, sought after, the redeemed of the Lord, a deserted city no more. What will you be called? Sought after. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, you are sought after. Then turn to the one you didn't choose the first time. (laughs) Say, you too. 
<laughs> He's coming. Sought after is your name. Sought after by who? Who are you? Who's sought after by the Lord? By him. Hear me now. You are the object of God's redeeming love. You are the object of his pursuing love. He's coming to claim you. You are the sought after by the Lord. It's like we saw in our passage, our guiding passage for the series from the Song of Songs a few weeks ago. Pastor Jennifer preached on it, Pastor John. They both gave powerful sermons after Thanksgiving. You read in Song of Songs, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. That's how Jesus loves. That's the pursuing love of God. Mountains are only there to be leapt across. Hills are only there to be bounded over. You know, that's a lot of leaping and bounding. I feel like I'm in the nutcracker. Walls are nothing to him. Windows are only there to be smashed through. The lattice, forget about it. He's coming and nothing will stop. There's no power or force strong enough to oppose or halt his progress. Nothing can frustrate his mission of love. Jesus is coming. And that's good news. Amen? If we could get to him, he wouldn't have to come to us. But we can't. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, in his new book, Hidden Christmas, He points out that in his community in New York City, he's noticed that Christmas is an occasion for a different kind of message. Christmas, the the cultural holiday, the secular celebration, it carries a different message. It seems to be a a moment uh, to celebrate or to hope for the milk of human kindness, to hope for an overcoming kind of human potential to find peace and love and and, and unity, something bubbling up from within humanity despite all evidence to the contrary. Tim Keller, he, he noticed an ad in the, in the New York Times that said, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. Well, it sounds nice, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds great. But let me tell you the truth. If that's the message of Christmas, this is a dark holiday indeed. If it's up to us, if it's up to humanity to produce unity, peace, hope, love, joy, if it's up to us to somehow manifest all of these things, then friends, this is a dark holiday because if it is up to you and me, we are sunk We cannot save ourselves. That's actually the message of Christmas. It's the exact opposite of what was in the ad. The message of Christmas is that we cannot save ourselves. In fact, the confidence that we can save ourselves or are just about to save humanity from itself with the next scientific breakthrough or the next educational endeavor or the next political ideology, these confidences only have led us into deeper darkness. The message of Christmas is that it's dark outside. 
but there's hope. Tim Keller puts it this way. The light of the world descended into darkness in order to bring us into God's beautiful light, 1 Peter 2. The promises of Christmas cannot be discerned unless you first admit that you can't save yourself or even know yourself without the light of his unmerited grace in your life. This is the foundational truth from which we can proceed to learn the hidden meanings of Christmas. You see, we can't make the magic happen. There's no recipe or incantation to bring the magic of Christmas. We can't make it happen. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. Behold, your Savior comes. If we could get home to him, he would not need to come to us, but we can't. The good news is that your beloved is coming and he will not be stopped. Jesus is motivated by love and that produces great persistence. What can we say about the the love of God made manifest in Jesus Christ? What can we say about the persistence of God? Have you ever thumbed through the Gospels just to recognize the tenacity of Jesus? He can't be stopped. He begins his ministry. He's pressed upon by Satan himself. Jesus resists by word and spirit of God. Faced with unbelieving disciples, Jesus presses on displaying divine power and calling them to follow. He says, we must cross the sea. And when wind and waves oppose him, a word from his mouth sets them in their place. He says, we must pass through Samaria. Though that people hates us and despises us, he uses it as an opportunity to seek and to save the lost. Opposed by religious leaders who want him dead, Jesus presses on to Jerusalem, escaping their grasp. Faced with death itself of his dear friend Lazarus, He says, remove the stone. You pull the stone away. He demands it be removed. When the people warn of the odor, Jesus walks forward anyway. There is no stopping this man. Not even the gaping tomb ridden with death deters him from his purpose. Luke says he set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing his time to leave this earth was near. When they came to tell him to turn away, Herod wants to kill you. He does not turn away. Opposed by false charges, betraying disciples, evil powers, bloodthirsty Roman rulers, the whips of guards, the shame of public suffering, the nails, the wood, Jesus never turned away from his goal. He never blinked an eye. Isaiah saw a vision of the prophet, a vision of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he put these words in in the Messiah's mouth in Isaiah 50, verse 7. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So Hebrews tells us consider the opposition that the pioneer and perfecter of your faith endured, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. 
That's a picture of Jesus. He set his, his face like a flint. Once Jesus had his saving purpose in mind, once he could see the redemption won by his suffering, his resolve never wavered, not for a minute. C.H. Spurgeon preached, the fact is that our master, even from eternity, resolved to save his people and nothing could keep him from the accomplishment of his purpose. From eternity, he foresaw that they would fall from their first estate and he entered into covenant engagements to redeem them and from the pledge he gave of old, he never turned back. That's the kind of resolve we see in Jesus. That's the tenacity, the perseverance. That's the kind of relentless passionate love we see coming toward us to save us. Nothing can stop his redeeming love. There is a poet in the 1880s named Francis Thompson and he wrote a poem about Jesus' pursuit of him and how he came to faith or how Jesus came to him. He called his poem, The Hound of Heaven. Here's a verse from it. Still with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy came on the following feet and a voice above their beat, not shelters thee who wilt not shelter me. Isn't that great? You can just hear the feet of Jesus coming after him, and he will not be stopped. C.S. Lewis described his conversion in the same way. C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist professor in Oxford, and he writes this, you must picture me alone in that room, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. You feel the pursuit of Jesus' love coming after you? Do you hear his footsteps coming after you? Every time you flip on the radio, God's sending a message your way. Every time you open the Bible, it falls to that passage. Every time you come to a, a sermon, it seems like the Lord's speaking directly to you. Jesus has got this pursuing love. And once Jesus has you in the crosshairs of his pursuing love, well, you can run, but you can't hide. Friends, he's coming, and it does not depend on you. He's coming. So back to Hebrews, this few little verses. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. Would you say that with me? For the joy set before before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured so much. He walked through fire, even though he was warned again and again to turn aside, turn away, escape. He walked 
through. Even though his own disciples turned back and scattered, he walked, set like a flint to his purpose, even up to the cross where he died powerless, penniless, under a crown of shame. All of that, it was nothing to him. It was nothing. Why? For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? It was you. It is you. Maybe you've put a a picture of your family in a card, sent it off uh, to bless people at Christmas. Maybe you carry a picture of your family in your back pocket. Jesus had the same. You see, once the stones are removed, the way is made clear, and the redeeming love of Jesus comes into your life, and you are under the saving light and grace of Jesus Christ, you are transformed, you are changed, you are adopted, you are no longer no people, you are God's people. You are no longer in the darkness, you are in the everlasting light, and you are named a son, you're named a daughter, you're named a child of God forever adopted in his family. And Jesus could see all of that, he could see all of it, and he had a picture that he carried in his pocket, a picture of the father at home with the son, and you are right there beside him. And for that joy, the joy set before him, he loved that picture so much that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame. It was nothing. It was nothing for Jesus to get up from his throne in heaven, to walk away from the realm of eternal day, to leave his position with the Father, to go down to walk past the angels rank on rank in heaven and descend into helplessness, descend into the womb of Mary the Virgin, to be born wrapped in flesh, helpless, an innocent child destined to hang on a cross. It was nothing because he had a picture of you in his back pocket. And that's all he needed for the joy set before him. He endured. Lord, what should be our response? How should our heart turn when we see your relentless and pursuing love drawing near? How should we feel? What should we know? What should we say or sing when once your love captures us? Lord, Grant us courage to throw open the gates, to remove the stones, to allow your overwhelming love to pour into our lives and transform us that we might walk with you into eternal life, into the joy set before you, set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.